With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it's Briars. Just want to tell you what's going on down at uh, Meltdown Comics in Hollywood. We got Meltology. Meltology is a monthly comics jam at Meltdown every third Tuesday of the month. Here's how it works. Show up at the Melt at 7 p.m. and draw a page of whatever you want. At 9.30 p.m. we'll collect all of the art and $3 for printing costs. When you come to the next month's Comics Jam, you'll get a zine with everyone's contributions inside. There is no set theme and all skill levels are welcome. Last but not least, Meltology contributors get 10% off their Meltdown purchase on the night of the event. Go to at Meltology on Twitter or Facebook if you have any specific questions. Ask for Chuck, and that is at Melt underscore Thology. Hello, and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy, and this is a production of the Meltdown Comics and Collectibles Meltcast and La Luz de Jesus Gallery, and of course, of the Pop Sequentialism blog and traveling exhibitions. So I'm really happy to have as my guest today, uh, Mark Todd. Say hello. Hello. And um, Mark Todd's a fine artist. Um, he comes from a family of fine artists, actually, and is also a a faculty teacher, a part-time faculty teacher at Art Center in Pasadena. And um, he is as well as publishing zines and comics and doing prints and doing a lot of kind of DIY stuff. Um, his art is very comic book centric, and we're going to talk about how he uses comic book imagery and integrates it into his work. But I think before we get down to that, um, one of the great reasons to have um, someone like Mark on the show is he's somebody that I've exhibited several times, and he's in a lot of um, incredible collections. And to be someone who has such a specific point of view via the art that he creates and then access to the next generation of artists as a teacher, it's interesting to be walking kind of between those two worlds. And so um, what do you think is, for you, the most gratifying element of what you do? Like you've, you've got a lot of different disciplines. Hmm, yeah. You mean as far as teaching and creating teaching, my own work? creating and, and publishing and painting and yeah. collage? It all rolls together. I really, uh, I've been teaching about 12 years now. Mm -hmm. Never really, uh, you know, planned it that way. But it was just something that came up actually when I lived in New York. Um, got the opportunity to teach a class with my wife uh, at Pratt. Mm -hmm. um, there was a vacancy there, kind of jumped in. And that was uh, that was the first time. And, you know, it's, it's an adjustment. And uh, really enjoyed it, though. And... Um, I don't know. It's inspiring to see, like you mentioned, up and coming work and students and, and people getting better and, and, you know, um, kind of being ahead of the curve on seeing what might be out there in a few years. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I started teaching at art center and tell everybody who your wife is. Oh, my wife, uh, Esther Pearl Watson. 
another publisher of zines another fine artist another person whose work is in amazing collections including that of cindy sherman yeah who is now going to be the first guest um curation at the broad museum in los angeles right so um she's a big time big time (laughs) yeah yeah no we work well together um we we met in school Mm -hmm. we met uh back in 93 i graduated art center in 93 met esther um, we moved to New York, um, and crazy enough, as it sounds, we've been sharing the same studio ever since, every day. Um, you know, collaborating on projects, doing our own thing, mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, having a, a great time. It's worked out well. Yeah, not only have you not driven each other crazy, but you've produced a second-generation artist as well yeah. in your daughter, who's who's someone we've exhibited. Yeah, uh, we have a daughter, Lily. Uh, who's 15 now, which is crazy. Um, Already illustrated a, a yep. book. She, yeah, she, um, we bring her, you know, everywhere we go, we try to, uh, whether it's you know, obviously to art openings, to our own openings, but also on trips, on residencies. We got the opportunity to go to uh, Sweden for a month and do a residency, and we brought her to that, nice. which she loved. Um, we were in New York, and we met... Um, we met up with Todd Oldham, and uh, Amy Sedaris was there and kind of uh, took a liking to uh, Lily's work. She had some comics and drawings. This was years ago, and uh, ended up putting them in her in her, one of her books. Uh, Amazing. That was really fun. And so she's, I mean, I didn't grow up with artist parents, um, so I'm really, it's kind of neat to see this experiment, right? Of yeah. Two artists, kind of, and she is... I mean, there's no, no, she, we, we couldn't stop her if we wanted to. She's going to be an artist. So mm-hmm. we're kind of all for that. And we're going to just see, see how that goes, you know, because right, right. it's up and down. But she knows that and she's seen it firsthand. Yeah. yeah. So now, um, with your work specifically, mm-hmm. and I think the first time that I saw your work, I'd seen some of the flower paintings. Yeah. And, um, James Gunn owns one. It, it hangs mm-hmm. on his wall. Oh, cool. At his home. And I've got, one of the the pieces that I think for the the group of people that I'm I'm very close with and who really enjoy your work, um, they love that you take classic comic book art, um, mostly covers, but sometimes interior stuff, mm-hmm. and you change it and you make a specific statement about it. But it does incorporate a great deal of the original artist's hand in it. So you've done pieces that were Jack Kirby pieces. And, but it's a different thing than, say, how someone like um, Roy Lichtenstein yeah. would have done it. And so I want you to talk about that because sure. I've, we've spoken about appropriation on this program before. And I think that there's a difference between someone like Richard Prince taking a discarded photograph from a Marlboro Man pho- photography session, changing absolutely nothing, right. and blowing it up and and selling it for millions of dollars and the type of kind of loving tribute that you do to the comics that you read and you only do comics that you collected when you were a kid pretty much i mean or at least the characters or or maybe more precisely comics i wish i had yeah but yeah. yeah um so yeah i kind of approach it from i mean right that's where i started i started to draw i wanted to be an artist i wanted to be a comic artist like a lot of kids growing up, you know, with Star Wars and comic books, that's what got me into, into this, 
what I do today. And um, probably most of the people that I've yeah. had on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, I, I, I was born in 1970. So it's just that that's the right age, I guess. And, yep. and I um, kind of, you know, uh, can't, when did I first start doing the flower paintings and the comic stuff? Yeah, I think the flower paintings kind of came first. And like you had described, those are kind of these kind of just those kind of come from the, you know, obviously referencing, um, you know, a classic uh, paintings of, of, still of flowers, stuff. still lives, but like kind of twerking them and making them a little bit weird um, and adding some a line of text or a, or a, a, a word underneath. Um, now and, I'm gonna have to post some of these yeah, on the post, um, yeah. on the, the those, podcast site uh, or at least on, yeah. on the blog. And I loved those, and I still love those, and I make them from time to time. But um, I've found that there's a certain well, I think a lot of people love them, people rave about them, but not everyone buys those. They're mm -hmm. kind of like I think they're I don't know smart and sophisticated in a certain way for maybe certain certain people really like. Those and then were the comic ones, which I also love doing, and uh, um, you know have a lot of joy. You can, I think, you can see that the joy of just painting them mm -hmm. um, is maybe a, more of an immediate, like pow, kind of like in your face. Sometimes, kind of thing. literally. Yeah, exactly. But um, you also yeah. do something interesting with the color in that yeah. um, you diffuse what is a four color process generally down to mm -hmm. one color and then black. Maybe a little bit of white. A little bit, yeah. A very minimal color. Um, some of them look like they could be, well, some have become silkscreen pieces. Like mm -hmm. very, very kind of, uh, yeah, flat color with line work. And and I, and I that just comes from having fun. I was going to, I guess, get to the point of like I, when I was a kid, I drew these things all the time. But, of course, they weren't good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wasn't the best at it. And then you go to school and you go to art school and you learn to draw a bit and then you actually throw that out the window because you realize I don't want to just learn to draw. I want to have a voice and do something unique. So then I kind of go back to the, I missed my almost, you know, raw style of drawing. So this is kind of like being a kid that has some chops that you can kind of look at something. I love, I mean, to be honest, I'm just editing out the parts that I don't care about and I'm putting yeah. in like, Oh my God, look at that Kirby hand. It's awesome. I'm going to make that bigger. Yeah. And this part, eh, you know, that's the background. I don't need that part. And, and then they become these kind of like, you know, when, when you, I think when you, when I, I know I do, when I imagine a comic that I had in my collection, you imagine it differently than maybe it really was. You imagine certain parts more than others. And you just kind of go, very true. that, wow, that, the flame, you know. And, and when you remove elements yeah. from the pieces in, in Mark's work, sometimes there'll be, an almost exact tribute to a piece and then the head will be missing yeah and there'll be like this void where the head is and that is very much a statement on the way that memory works mm -hmm. and about um what is it that impacted you like in yeah. you can see in your piece that you emphasize the hand whereas maybe yeah. somebody else is going to be immediately drawn to the fact that that the head is gone yeah. or but you will also often have the cover price mm -hmm. and the Marvel logo and the logo of, of the team. Yep. And sometimes you'll swap them back and forth. Yeah. Mix them up. I've started to, I mean, I've done, I wouldn't say over well over 200 of these paintings. So that's also an interesting uh, kind of test for me is to see if I can keep making them interesting. Right. To be totally honest. Uh, I think Johnny Ryan has one of the first, definitely within the first year or two, he has one of the uh, pieces and, I look at it, you know, now and it's 
it's pretty much a copy of a comic cover. I mean, it's mm -hmm. in my style. It's limited color, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a Fantastic Four piece with Doctor Doom. And um, now, you know, they've gotten oftentimes bigger, but they've, yeah, they've really gotten distorted mm -hmm. and weird. And of course, Johnny Ryan was an underground comic illustrator who yes. was very tied to the New York punk, punk rock movement, did work for the Ramones. I remember seeing a great comic he did about Blondie yeah and um and he's just got a really classic style i've been lucky enough to have been able to have featured um some of his his drawings in a in the coaster show yeah and um so must have been kind of amazing to have someone like that buy one of your pieces yeah i can't remember if he bought it or as a gift <laughs> well we probably we may have traded i can't quite remember but mm -hmm. um he uh it's funny now that i think of it it makes sense that he would kind of like my work and I like his work a lot. He's kind of referencing mm -hmm. a style, right? And kind of doing it in his own way. Um, and a lot of people ask me about, you know, um, more specific about this artist or that artist or, you know, even this storyline. And, you know, I know a bit about those. But again, going back to just the joy of, you know, I was a kid, to be honest, you know, buying comics that I didn't really even get the who the artists were right away i was right. buying iron man because it was iron man and then when it changed and became another artist i was like something's not as good but i didn't really even understand the idea of like no it's someone else doing the stories now. yeah and then i of course learned a bit about that and stuff but uh i was kind of a fan of the characters first and uh, maybe and then maybe the artists second in I a way think that's probably most kids and i think that when um when we remember what our first instinct was in buying comics it's going to be that it's obviously going to be the cover but sometimes it's especially in our age that that's right when they were starting to do superhero tv shows mm. um certainly the saturday morning cartoons were already on yeah so when we were kids there would be possibly spider-man on tv yeah there was reruns of the 60s fantastic fours yeah. The Wonder Thors, Woman. yeah, and then Wonder Woman was yeah. on television, yeah, and um, a little bit later, the Hulk would be on TV as well. Oh yeah, and I started reading Hulk comics because I loved the Hulk TV series. I think, yeah, and I'm not quite sure which comes first in my own biographical timeline, and, and I would confuse that. And so when you talk about producing this this work, where you're riffing on memory. You're yeah. changing it a little bit. It's not exactly how it was, but it's how you remember it. Yeah. That if you go back and check, you're not ruining it. It's not like, oh, I got that wrong. It's like, oh, wow, this is amazing how my perception of things, which I've been so resolute about for decades, yeah. and then you find out it's completely wrong. Yeah. Or a cover that you're like, oh, that was the best, you know. And then you go back and you're like, this is pretty bad. Yeah. But yeah. Or you thought it was the cover and it was the splash page and the yeah, first page. Or something. Yeah. yeah. So I've got all, you know, I go back to my my dad's house and all the comics are still there. You know, I've I've kind of stolen some and brought some back to mm -hmm. reference and stuff. But oh man, ninety ninety five percent are garbage. Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, I mean at least things that I don't care about anymore. But mm -hmm. you know, um, but then there was that five percent. They're like, wow, this is so cool. And yeah, yeah, it's been. Uh, it's been interesting. And to grow up in an era before comic book shops is, is kind of different because, you know, we've, I've talked about this too a few times in the podcast, that when you'd go to the newsstand, you didn't know what they were going to have. They weren't consistent. They mm -hmm. wouldn't just buy Spider-Man because of this one kid who lived down the street bought Spider-Man. If they didn't sell all five copies that they brought in, maybe they stopped ordering it. Yeah. And so I remember walking into the local grocery store on the corner of my street in, in Massachusetts 
and maybe Warlord Annual number seven was on the rack, but they'd never carried Warlord before. Yeah. And I'd look, I was like, oh, this artwork looks great. And you'd, you'd buy it and yeah. you'd hope that you're thinking, oh, well, next month back. there's going to be a new thing, but it wouldn't be there. Yeah. And I didn't know there were comic book shops until I was a little bit older oh. and, and found them and I could go and find missing issues and realized that I had a couple of very valuable comics yeah. in my collection and yeah, yeah. saw them on a wall in a shop under yeah. plastic. You were talking about that. That's great. I, um, my first purchase was at a Seven Eleven on the mm -hmm. corner, 60 cents, you know, and then I, I remember pretty much going back the next day and buying two more and then the next day and, and then, but I did discover a couple of comic shops. I grew up in Las Vegas. So mm -hmm. there was a couple, there was the, um, the the one they were all they were all really far from my house but my mom would take me you know pretty much every friday that's where we'd go we'd go to the comic store then do a movie and then uh you know maybe eat some go to taco bell or something but mm -hmm. yeah the the comic store there was the cool one that i really liked the down to earth one where they'd give you deals and they had the quarter bin and you know and then there was the really uptight one that was like everything was bagged and boarded and it was cool but i i didn't it just felt a little too i don't know much for me i kind of liked the, a little too antiseptic yeah yeah and they were actually they seemed like they didn't even like kids so it was like yeah <laughs> in, in a certain era that could yeah. be almost all comic shops yeah yeah but i know what you mean and so when i go out of town you know and i talked with kevin smith about this of, of like you know going to seeking out comic shops no matter where i'm at i'll be like i'll open up you know when the old days would be the yellow pages now you just yeah. open up google and it's like where's there a comic book shop i'm gonna go check out the comic book shop yeah and the ones that are really slick are kind of like eh. but the ones that look like it's just somebody's living room is outgrown itself and it's you know the um lots of long boxes yeah full of old comics as long as it's alphabetized because not yeah. alphabetized makes my skin crawl. I just I can't stand it, and yeah. it's maybe it's an OCD thing. I'm not sure. But um, same with record shop, record yeah. shops. That I I do kind of expect that if if a place gets a rave review, that the albums are in good condition and you can find stuff. Yeah. yeah. But um, I know there are also people who enjoy the discovery process of digging through bins, and and I I do like digging through you know your three for dollar bins and yeah. stuff. Yeah. But um, just to see what you're gonna get, but. Generally speaking, you want to check to see the alphabet first and find yeah. it and, and bring it up. But uh, that, that's always been something yeah. I think I've loved. If it's too slick, it doesn't seem like it's home. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That is, that is true. It's funny because as you were saying that, I've gone, you know, I was the kid that bagged and boarded everything. If I could afford it, buy a couple of copies. I, had, I have a younger brother that was also pretty much in the same stuff. So he'd buy one, I'd buy one. So we... I don't know. We'd talk each other into like that. We had two of them, mm -hmm. um, but we'd steal comics from each other all the time. But but now, uh, uh, you know, I don't I don't really buy comics anymore. I I buy a lot more zines. Mm -hmm. I buy graphic novels, but um, and I I keep them in good shape. But I definitely don't over. Esther, my wife's the one. It's funny. She was never into comics. She before I can even finish reading a. a a book even a graphic novel she's got it wrapped in plastic and like in our storage you know uh alphabetical in order of date which is cool but i'm just like and then i go in and make a mess and then she gets <laughs> mad at me because i i'm like but these are meant to be read like and 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 even with my old comics that i'm referencing now i mean sorry to say there's 
a lot of them have paint on them now and they've been folded back and I have them tacked up in my studio. I mean, the, you know, I'm not doing this to expensive things, but, you know, comics that are 5 or $10, I don't tend to care anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it, I've collected these things for so long and, and, and my dad's always saying, you're going to, when are you going to get these out of my house? Yeah. But I think I'll leave them there because I don't have the room. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've survived it this long. It's, yeah, it, just If leave you've them. survived the, the move, you, you get the you get to leave them there. The um, But another thing you do too, and this is going to sound like completely anathema to probably half the audience, is making collages out of actual comic book pages. Yes. And slicing them up and um and reconjecturizing and recontextualizing re, um, yeah. everything um to create these new these new pieces and i think that that work is probably seen by the fine art buyer as a more accessible thing to them maybe yeah i always yeah so the the i call them the collages versus the paintings mm -hmm. um there isn't usually too much crossover i mean on the collages there's always some paint and 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 other stuff mixed media i guess you'd call it um the the paintings usually don't have any usually don't have any collage elements but uh, i i love to do both uh, the collages which tend to be much smaller or comic book size actually mm -hmm. tend to take longer yeah. a lot longer um uh, usually and uh and it's interesting i like to meet some people like those much more than the paintings other people like prefer the paintings and don't really you know, they want, oh, you painted this 100%, whether I'm looking at something or not. And the other one, they're like, oh, you cut and pasted this. It's not really yours. Um, and I, and Billy once told me which one he prefers, and I can't remember, but I I think it's the paintings. But um, it's interesting, like, you know, I mean, I still will do both and like to do both. But He's talking about Billy Shire, oh, who's, yes. who's my boss and the um, the man who uh, created La Luz de Zeus Gallery and Wacko and... Yeah. Um, you know, is responsible for the room that we're recording in right now, which is how houses a lot of his art collection, but yeah. by no means all of it. And it's kind of an amazing museum um, to be able to sit in here and have these conversations with people whose work I know and respect and to talk about comics. Now, I'm going to take a little quick break and okay. um, to hear from a sponsor. And then when we get back, we're going to talk about um, your involvement in zines and also how the um, getting students at, at Art Center to produce um, you know, books and zines on their own. Yeah. But um, you two advertisers can reach this uh, this prime demographic. You can send me an email at info at pop instead of pod, P-O-P, popsequentialism.com. Um, you can also send me an email at info at laluzdejesus.com. And I will be right back with our guest in just a moment. Melt you, the school at Meltdown, where they teach you the skills to make comic books. Some of the current classes include creating comics, drawing comics for kids, and the art of inking. Coming soon, there will be classes for short film writing, drawing basics, and kids make zines. Go to meltcomics.com and enroll now. Hello and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I am, of course, your host, Matt Kennedy, and I have with me today Mark Todd, who is a fine artist and um, comic artist and publisher of zines and an instructor at Art Center. And um, as I promised before the break, what I think we, we're going to um, wrap this up with is your involvement with zines. And you've been involved with zines for a very, very long time. Yeah, before I even knew it, to be honest. Yeah. I was making, well, I mean go way back high school I was making comics and zines didn't know what they were called I called them comics but you know I was 
hand drawing these things, going to Kinko's and making some, trying to make some money. Um, you know, probably sold three of them and uh, a lot of a lot of unfinished ones as well. But um, <clears throat> yeah, then I was living in New York and I was also making zines. I was an, uh, I'm an illustrator uh, working for magazines and record covers and doing uh, advertising. And I would, you know, everyone was doing these postcards, postcards, and I was doing, that's how we would promote our work. And I thought I'm going, I don't have a lot of money, but I'm going to make, I need a book of multiple images. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do these, uh, write, write these stories and put drawings next to them. Mm -hmm. And I thought in my head, I was like, it has to be funny and it has to, you know, whether, and, and I have to also showcase my art. So one side was, you know, the drawing, the other side was some funny stories about, um, kids I grew up with in Las Vegas and, um, had just maybe a hundred printed, sent them out, um, to places like Rolling Stone and New Yorker and all the magazines and record companies and got a ton of work from it. Um, what was some of the, um, the record companies you worked for? Um, Sony, Electra, um, all of them. Yeah. Um, who else, you know, A&M, uh, or cover illustrations. Um, yeah, nothing big, big. I did, um, funny enough. I did like, I did single, I did like a lot of stuff for, for, uh, new bands or for stuff that was going to be played in-house like virgin mm -hmm. records you know would have like a, a compilation of stuff i did yeah. a lot of that but i did do a goo goo dolls uh single oh, right i did bodine's um i did george carlin's cover but it, it didn't run mm -hmm. um but i got to meet him so that was cool yeah um yeah a bunch of different things i like, got to package a um a george carlin dvd collection oh cool so I got to work on the featurettes on that and and got access to his photo archive oh. and everything it was amazing yeah it was weird because i was working on this thing and then he called me this when we had answering machines and like, this is george carlin just do something really cool and do whatever you want um turned out to be i did whatever i wanted and <laughs> didn't get used <laughs> yeah they were like this is too weird too crazy um but anyways yeah i got to go see a show and stuff but um yeah um so I was making these booklets and, you know, I'd make one every six months or so and send them out again. I don't know. I called them promos or comics. Mm -hmm. um, and then I moved here to L.A. Um, and lo and behold, it's like I met people like uh, Souther Salazar, mm -hmm. um, Ron Rigi Jr. and uh, other comic artists. Um, and they're making these things. They're like, oh, you make zines, too. I'm like, well, I don't know what these are, but I'm making them. Um, so that kind of started. I was like, wow, this is, and, and we got so excited about it that we published a book, uh, with our publisher all about, um, zines and comics called what you mean, what's a zine mm -hmm. and put a lot of our favorite artists in there. And, um, it was really, really fun. We've always kind of described it as like coming in it through kind of the back door, right? We're like, you know, doing, we were was doing work for Rolling Stone and, record albums and then kind of starting to just self-publish zines and stuff where, you know, a lot of people seem to start with the zines and then they kind of um, maybe do the other work. But um, we were, you know, we moved to LA and we were excited. It was like, we love, we love this world. So we just kind of dove in mm -hmm. and um, been making them ever since. And at that time, I mean, the, the easy stuff to find, and it wasn't that easy to find, honestly. There was a handful of, of bookstores that were even carrying zines in yeah. the in the nineties. And you could get Murder Can Be Fun, maybe, yeah. and you could get um at certain places, well certainly Maximum Rock and Roll, 
but um, that the whole zine culture hadn't become celebrated yet. It mm. was still pretty much a DIY thing. And I think that you were at the forefront of the art school kids that really started taking over zines. And if you look back now, I mean, I was just at the um, the LA um, Antiquarian yeah. um, Book Fair, yeah. which was this this past weekend. And um, by the time this airs, it will have been months ago. But yeah. um, and there's also the um, the LA Fine Art yeah. Book Fair, which yeah. is run by Printed Matter out of New York. Yeah. And that's like tremendously filled with zines. Yeah. But you go back and there'll be like Gagosian Gallery will have now it's, a yeah. booth and there'll be like Kim Gordon had a fake record store set up in yeah. there. Wow. And yeah. at, when I went to the the Antiquarian Book Fair, there were people that had some of the original, um, you know, Pettibone yeah. little, um, not quite zines because he was really not doing zines. Like he yeah. would have illustrations that would be in Maximum Rock and Roll or he'd be doing the Black Flag stuff. But um, these little collectible pamphlets are something that might have gotten handed out. But yeah. someone had done a Xerox zine of punk rock flyers from the era. And you can tell it's that original mimeograph yeah. paper. And that the yeah. way that that black is really purple. I love all that stuff. And isn't it amazing how fast that, that kind of... I mean, stuff we've made, we'll look in our collection like back in, you know... 2003 or my first zine was actually 1995 mm -hmm. first one i made um it's about a friend and it was like i don't know and now it just has this cool retro look and you're like yeah. you know it's not that long ago but it is but it's like pre-photoshop um, yeah so it looks oh yeah different. and it was just yeah it's kind of this cool time capsule and and so yeah, we really, um, you know, there's been there's been people that are like, why zines? Isn't that that was a long time ago? That was cool. That's not, you know, no one does that anymore. But obviously, now everybody they do. does and, it. Yeah, yeah. And I am more drawn towards the artist artist driven zines. You know, or visually, yeah. uh, you know, um, that's just my, you know, to be honest, I you know, I'm kind of drawn. Wow, that looks super cool. What's it about? Um, so. I think you're right. I think visually it's really kind of like taken off and, you know, um, again with just some of them are just so beautiful and I don't know, it's just a, it's a cool, a cool thing to, yeah, it's kind of worked. Art center is, is drowning in zines <laughs> Yeah, for better or for worse, but there's a lot of, um, students that, uh, you know, and we always kind of say, well, okay, we're, this is not a, this is not a, a way to make a living only like this is something you do as well as other stuff and right we've always kind of thought that way you know it's 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 back to kind of what it was to us it's a promotional piece of your work yeah and and we've had many many zines turn into actual if you call them actual books we've sold to publishers so, yeah yeah, so. yeah certainly with um Unlovable Esther's oh, yes. zine has, has gone through multiple printings and multiple editions. Yeah, um, you've had a couple of, of zines get kicked upstairs to kitchen sink or uh, I did a um, Blue Q. Yep, so, Blue Q. Yeah, they yeah. were doing. They started. They kind of dabbled with books for a while, and mine was one of the first um, badasses. It's a became a zine. Um, we did. I did a. I did a, a zine called The Pain Tree, <laughs> another teenage angst-ridden poetry, which became a book. Um, yeah, like I said, um, my wife's unlovable. Probably it's funny enough because that's the only that's the first zine she ever did, and she always tells a story of like, I can't do it. Mark makes zines. That's his territory, and we kind of always <laughs> joke about that. And then she's like, Ah, forget it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do one, and then it it's. It's hugely successful. <laughs> now you can paint a UFO in your backyard. Yeah, that's true. I can't touch UFOs, but no, it's true. I can't touch glitter either. It's like 
throw a little glitter on my piece and she's like where did you get that out because she's her pieces are often filled with glitter and foil (laughs) well hey man thanks for stopping by and having a chat with us um mark will be having a show here at lulu's day zeus gallery in september September. yeah september it's going to be in um 2016 and it's it's going to be amazing the last time we showcased mark he built a a fireworks yeah um shed and then we were able to showcase that not just at the gallery but up at the la municipal art gallery at barnesville art park which is adjacent to a frank lloyd wright house which has been completely restored um i've showcased mark's art at the taos um, the harwood museum in taos new mexico which is the oldest um museum in the in the southwest Hmm. and it was during the the first real survey show of pop surrealism in a in an academic environment is in the published catalog um it's a piece that came from my collection and um i i love the work i think it's a an amazing tribute rather than a a riff um in the wrong way on on classic comic book stuff and and you can just see the love of the medium in it um as i said we're going to post some pictures up on on the blog so you can see this and um in the meantime where can people find you online a few places um i would fun chicken funchicken.com is our kind of online shop that i share with esther that we've started so long ago that we we didn't know what a website was. We kind of bought the domain and we're like, okay, now what? We have this weird name, but it's stuck. Um, and uh, I have a few at marktoddart.com is more of the gallery work. And then Mark Todd Illustration is more of the commercial work. That's M-A-R-K-T-O-D-D. Yep. Well, again, thanks a bunch. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed this. Um, another episode of Pod Sequentialism Under Our Belts. And uh, until next time, um, listen to some of the previous episodes, too. We think that uh, you really love these. Thanks again. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.